just as the band have a, a seat, uh, our Bible reading this evening is in Matthew chapter 26. The words will come up on the screens, but if you prefer to follow in one of the pew Bibles, you can find this reading on page 996, page 996. And in Matthew chapter 26, we read from verse 17 to verse 30. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom." When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Amen. May God be pleased to bless to us that reading from His holy Word. I don't know if we have anybody else in the congregation this evening who plays a musical instrument or who can lead by singing, apart from Nicoletta and her team, but if 
if that's you and you want to volunteer, this might encourage you, because this evening, as well as the bread and the wine on the table, I just happened to notice before the service began a box of these, chocolate Easter eggs. Yum! Now, I once did for about 800 people at the Hyde Park carol services last Christmas. I ate a Tunnock's caramel wafer from the pulpit with a, a very important message, and it was a very nice caramel wafer too, I can tell you. But I'm not actually going to eat this one this evening. I'm going to put it back because it's, it's the band's. But I know that probably everybody here has at least one egg. Maybe it's that size. Maybe it's a bit bigger. Waiting at home, waiting for the next seven days until Easter Sunday. My favorite cartoon of the last seven days was this one here in the paper on Thursday, and it shows a young boy at home on the lounge carpet, and he is surrounded by empty Easter egg boxes and foil wrapping paper. And his father has just come into the room uh, with a newspaper with uh, Maria Miller's name on it, and the caption is, the Easter eggs had to go. They were becoming an enormous distraction. A reference, of course, to the departure of a member of the cabinet uh, a few days ago. We can be distracted from the true meaning of Easter, just as back at Christmas time, all the other things that go with Christmas, the tree and the presents and the tinsel, and the cards, and their Christmas dinner, and all the rest. It's all good stuff, but it can distract us from the real meaning of Christmas. Just so, when it comes to Easter, all the other things that happen, particularly those nice eggs, that could actually distract us from the central meaning of Easter. And so, we turn to this passage this evening. Thinking about Christmas, because that is perhaps the most significant meal or dinner which we enjoy in our homes each year. I read one statistic recently that suggested that the average British family at Christmas now spends over £1,000 on presents, food, and decorations. For many, Christmas, just think back several weeks or a few months ago, back to Christmas 2013. For many people, it's simply a time for relaxing, for giving presents, and for eating too much. But in December 2014, this year, when we tuck into our Christmas dinners, I want to suggest that we have in mind a very different meal at the same time, the Last Supper of Jesus. Good to think about that every Christmas, every Easter, of course, actually every Sunday, every day. Surely the Last Supper, you might think Jesus final meal has more to do with Easter than Christmas. Surely His last meal before being betrayed, brought to a mock trial, finally crucified on a cross, is not really an appropriate topic to link to Christmas. Wouldn't fluffy sheep, wise men, shiny angels, and clean, fresh straw be more the image? But the reason the message of Christmas, which we were celebrating just a few months ago, is such good news is precisely because Jesus, the Savior, the Rescuer, was born. The Savior came into the world as a baby, born to die, and then be raised from the dead. That was God's Christmas gift, and the end of Jesus' life 
And his resurrection should again be very much in view, even as in several months' time later this year we celebrate his birth, even as we will celebrate his death and resurrection next weekend. Well, we've read from Matthew 26, 17 through 30, and we have just three headings this evening, many fewer than last time I was standing here, I seem to remember. First of all, the Passover celebrated. Thank you, Caroline. Uh, But back to Christmas for a moment. I enjoy Christmas dinner. Maybe that's obvious. Well, I enjoy most of Christmas dinner. I like turkey and uh, stuffing, particularly the oatmeal stuffing that my wife makes. Uh, If you want the recipe, please ask her any time. The roast potatoes I love, uh, the cranberry sauce, the carrots, the parsnips, but not, repeat, not those Brussels sprouts. When I was growing up, we had a fairly deliberate routine for how it all happened and what was included. Perhaps you were the same when you were growing up. For the Jew, however, the most important family meal of the year was not Christmas dinner, obviously, but rather the Passover meal. And it was celebrated each year during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is the context of the events we read about in Matthew 26. On the, feast, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, the Passover meal was a highly prescribed event. In our Christmas meal, we might include Christmas crackers, turkey, maybe ham, certainly Christmas pudding, Sometimes, I know we opt out of certain items, we maybe have a less traditional pudding or something, but for the Jew, the Passover meal was a ritual meal as well as being an enjoyable family event. The prescribed food was unleavened bread, of course, and herbs, and roast lamb. Even as I say roast lamb, don't you just imagine roast lamb for a moment, don't, don't you start to salivate? As I know I do. Yum! roast lamb. Is there a tastier roast, I wonder? In Jesus' time, going back to this Passover meal, it was likely that there were four cups of wine that were shared by the household. The cups were drunk in sequence throughout the meal, and speeches were made, and psalms recited at specific points. I wonder if you've ever attended a burn supper. We had a student one here, actually, in January this year, if you've ever been to our burn supper, you'll know that the haggis is piped in. Someone addresses the haggis, you know, Therefore, your honest son say face, great chieftain of the puddin' race, Abunama, you take your place, pains triper firm, will a reward thee, O a grace, as langs my arm. And another seven verses, which I have committed to memory when I was 21 and did that for the first time, but we're not going to do that this evening. If you want the other seven verses, Ask me at tea and coffee afterwards. Someone gives a speech called the immortal memory. Someone proposes a toast to the lassies. One of the lassies then replies on behalf of the lassies. Poems are read, songs sung, dances danced afterwards perhaps. Well, traditionally in a Jewish Passover meal, the oldest son formally asked the father what the Passover meal meant, and why it was being celebrated. The father then formally replied, 
explaining that it was a remembrance of the Lord's deliverance and His rescuing His people from slavery in Egypt. Exactly what we in this congregation were thinking about together just a few weeks ago in our series on Exodus. Jesus had made arrangement to celebrate the Passover meal with His disciples in Jerusalem, and He sends them on ahead to prepare the meal. The Passover celebrated, next slide please, Caroline, the betrayer identified. The Passover meal on this particular night was different from anything the disciples had ever experienced before. Jesus disturbs them with talk of betrayal and His imminent death. Jesus identifies the betrayer in verses 20 through 25. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, He said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray Me. They were very sad and began to say to Him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with Me will betray Me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about Him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. I don't know if you have ever been let down by a close friend or a family member or a work colleague. You probably have at some point, or you probably will be at some stage. I know I have. I know I have, and it hurts, and it still hurts. Jesus has been warning His disciples that His death is approaching, and incidentally, in connection with being let down, being betrayed, and and the hurt, when we pray to Jesus, we pray to God in Jesus' name. We pray in the name of one who understands, one who has been there, betrayed as he was on this occasion and indeed on other occasions. Jesus has been warning His disciples that His death is approaching. His life is ultimately heading in the direction of death at the hands of the Jewish and Roman authorities. But up to this point, He has not indicated how that will happen. What a shock then when he tells them that he will be betrayed and handed over by a close friend, by one of the disciples, by one of them. Jesus knows exactly what is happening. God is sovereign over the events of Jesus as he approaches his death. Yet Matthew reminds us that Judas makes a deliberate, premeditated, and unrelenting choice to betray Jesus. The disciples are very sad when Jesus tells them that a betrayer is in their midst. Surely not. They say, surely it couldn't be me you're talking about, Jesus. I actually wonder why they're not more adamant that it will not be them. Peter is soon to declare, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. But perhaps these disciples have been around Jesus long enough to know their own tendency to sin, their own capability to betray the Son of God. Surely not I, Lord. Yet Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus. He asks the question just like the others, and 
fits into the crowd, but he's already committed to betraying Jesus. Jesus responds literally, it is as you say. You, Judas, have spoken the truth. Your own lips condemn you. The Passover celebrated, the first heading, the second one, the betrayer identified, third and final heading this evening, is the sacrifice given, verses 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, take and eat, this is My body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's no wonder the disciples are sad. The whole meal is disturbing. Reclining round the table, a small, intimate group, a nice meal, but overshadowing it, the shadow of death. And what Jesus goes on to talk about now is even more unsettling. He talks about the sacrifice given. It was traditional to give thanks, to pronounce a blessing on the food and the wine. It was traditional to make speeches about the significant elements in the meal. But Jesus takes things in a new direction now when He speaks in those verses towards the end of our passage this evening. He takes the unleavened bread in His hands, these hands which were once the baby hands of the child of Christmas. He takes the bread in His hands, He breaks it, gives it to His disciples, and says, take and eat, this is My body. The bread is still in Jesus' physical hands. He's not saying that the bread has replaced His physical body. This is not something to be superstitious about. We don't believe in magic. It's not cannibalism that He's talking about, but still it's shocking language. When His disciples eat the bread, they are to think of Jesus' body although they do not yet know it, as they watch the loaf being broken into bits, they are being prepared by the imagery for what they will soon see happening in the flesh. The body of Jesus is going to be torn and broken as the whip tears into His flesh, as the crown of thorns is pressed down on His head, as the nails go through His wrists, and as His feet are pinned to the cross. This is My body given for you. This is the sacrifice about to take place. And then in a similar way, He takes the cup, another traditional element of the meal, and He gives it new meaning. Verse 27, He takes the cup, He gives thanks, He offers it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if it was shocking for the disciples to hear such talk of Jesus' body, then this now was even more shocking. 
Perhaps when you were growing up, there were certain things that you were never allowed to do at the dinner table. Maybe you had it drummed into you that you must always hold your fork in a certain way or dip your soup bowl in a certain direction. And whenever you eat a meal, even now, you can't bring yourself to hold your fork in the wrong way, let alone putting your knife in your mouth. There might even be certain things you know that you would never bring yourself to eat, like Brussels sprouts. I really don't like them, I assure you. Well, for the Jew, it would have been drummed into them from a young age that they must never eat the blood of an animal. It was drilled into them that that behavior would not be acceptable. That was God's specific command to His people. God had said in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, say to the, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. That's in Leviticus chapter 17. And yet, here was Jesus at the Last Supper taking the cup, telling them to drink from it, and declaring, this is my blood of the covenant. Shocking language. What does it mean? We need to consider the purpose of blood as part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Remember the Passover story with the blood, remember, daubed, sprinkled on the doorposts of the house. The blood on the doorpost marked that household as belonging to God, and the destroyer passed over, hence Passover. Jesus is pointing to His own blood poured out, just like wine poured into a cup. It's blood given in sacrifice. Look at what He says, this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood is soon going to flow as His hands and feet and side are pierced. It's going to be poured out. But Jesus explains the purpose. The blood will flow so that many people can have their sins forgiven. The reason Jesus speaks here of covenant, again we come across this key biblical word just as we came across it repeatedly in Genesis and Exodus over previous months. The reason He speaks of this word covenant here is because in this meal Jesus is inaugurating a new covenant. God is going to relate to His people in a new way. In the past, it has been through the blood of sheep and bulls, but now it will be in the basis of Jesus' blood shed once for all, once for all, that people have their sins forgiven. The blood of Jesus will now be what turns away God's wrath and allows destruction to pass over the individual Christian. It's a completely new covenant, totally superior to the old way of relating to God. And of course, the events of Easter made it clear to the disciples just what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was given a mock trial, was handed over to Roman soldiers to be crucified, even though He had done nothing wrong. 
His hands and feet were pierced. His body was broken. His blood was poured out for you and for me. And God's wrath against sin was directed at Jesus, His Son. The new covenant between God and man was established as Jesus cried, It is finished, and committed His Spirit into His Father's care. To conclude, the Passover celebrated, the betrayer identified, the sacrifice given, the sacrifice made once for all, never to be repeated. In conclusion, the Christ, the Savior, the Rescuer, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, was born at Bethlehem. We call that Christmas. A tiny baby, we celebrate His birth each year and each day. But more than that, a baby who would grow up, who would teach, who would perform miracles, who would lead, who would love, who would show us grace and truth, and die on a cross, and be raised to life on the third day, and bring rescue, bring salvation to millions of people. As we celebrate Christmas in several months' time, as we eat our Christmas dinners at the end of this year, it's well worth having in mind the Last Supper of Jesus, to hold Christmas and Easter together. And as we celebrate Easter this weekend, especially next weekend, ditto. Don't let other things distract us from the meaning of Easter. In closing, I want to ask us about our response to this Bible passage. It may very well be that this story, this reading, and even that we've read this evening is very familiar to us. Let's say you're, you're a Christian, you regularly participate in the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, as we're about to do again just now. The language of body broken and blood shed is well known. Well, just let me encourage you to use communion, the Lord's Supper, to keep your heart focused on Jesus. Think of that final Passover meal Jesus shared with His disciples. Keep focused on Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, perhaps we haven't thought or haven't thought much about Jesus' death before. Perhaps we don't feel we have very much understanding of why Christians eat bread and drink wine, albeit non-alcoholic wine in churches like this one, during a communion service. Well, if that's the case, we have an opportunity to get our relationship with God sorted out. The offer of a new covenant, a new relationship with God is available through Jesus and His death on the cross for our sin. Christians celebrate Christmas, of course, Christ's birth. We celebrate Easter, Christ's death on the cross and subsequent resurrection. And all the time, week by week, month by month, we celebrate Holy Communion or the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. We remember His death for our sin, His body broken, His blood shed. We break a loaf of bread. We eat it together. We distribute a cup, or in this case, cups of wine, perpetuating the events of the Last Supper of Jesus. It's a memorial meal. There are physical things we can touch and taste, and that's to help us to remember. Jesus has given us physical bread and wine that we can touch and taste 
to remember His death and salvation. God does that over and over again in the Bible, gives us things we can touch and see and sometimes taste. Sometimes it's piles of stone in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's special places, significant meals that help His people remember His saving action, His saving deeds in history. And now it's bread and wine shared among a group of Christians like ourselves. But if we're not yet trusting in Christ's death on the cross to save us from God's coming judgment, then we need to decide today how we're going to respond to this Bible passage. Are we going to ask Jesus to save us? Are we going to trust Him? Or, God forbid, be like Judas in rejecting Him. Let's be like the other disciples in accepting Him. The passage doesn't just focus, though, on Jesus' death. As I finish, let's look at verse 29, the penultimate verse of the passage where Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's a note of hope. Even though the events of the crucifixion have yet to happen, it's a note of hope. That's a hint of the resurrection of Jesus indeed returning someday in victory and triumph. That's the hope of eternity that the Christian has to look forward to. Jesus is going to return. His kingdom will be fully and finally established. And those who have trusted in Him will share life with Him for all eternity. Now, this gospel, this good news is both simple and profound. It's simple. Anyone can grasp it. Very young children can grasp it. Here behind me is a beautiful big poster, which you must have noticed already as you came into church this evening. Jesus died for me. What you perhaps can't see without binoculars or a telescope is what it says here, created by the children at Easter, Messy Church, April 2014. And it's beautiful, and you can see the thumbprints, and you can see someone has maybe been using lots of fingers or maybe a brush, and all the names are here of these little children. They're very young, some of them, but they can understand it. It's a simple message. Jesus died for me. It's simple and it's profound. It's profound. The finest minds can never fully understand these things. And the last three slides I'm going to show on the screens this evening are three recommendations, really, because I want to encourage all of us to think further, to think more deeply, to use our minds, to engage our minds, not just to know more about this, but so that our minds, knowing more, understanding more of the truth, our hearts will feel that truth, and we will draw close to God as a result. So, Caroline's going to put the first slide up here. It's a book recommendation. People still read books. Don't worry, uh, you can't read that, but I can read on the same screen if I can work this thing fast enough. There we go. 
It's a book by a theologian, Donald MacLeod, Christ Crucified, Understanding the Atonement. I'm about a third of the way through this book at the moment at home, and it's superb, and there's a lot in it. And if reading books is your thing, this is a book I want to recommend to you in the strongest terms, just to read a little bit from the summary here. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is presented in all four Gospels and occupies considerable space in the overall narrative. How could the life, let alone the death, of one man 2,000 years ago be the salvation of the human race? The biblical explanation is that the crucified one was the Son of God, acting and suffering in cooperation with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. This is the primary answer to the scandal of particularity. The death of this one person has universal, inclusive, and cosmic significance because in Him the Creator acts and suffers. Further, there is the special relationship between Christ and humanity. He was with us, and He was for us. The grandeur of the cross lies in the fact that here the incarnate Son of God offered Himself in our place, bearing the penalty for our sin. The cross achieved… These are not words which I expect the little children who made the poster to have heard of, let alone understand. But you and I can read these words and read this book and understand something more. The cross achieved expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, justification, redemption, forgiveness, and victory. No single one of these tells the whole truth, nor do all of them together exhaust the meaning of the cross. MacLeod shows that these concepts are interrelated and interdependent, and that together they give a coherent picture of the wonderful salvation wrought by Jesus at Calvary. So there's, we don't always do this, but there's tonight's book recommendation, Christ Crucified, Understanding the Atonement, Donald MacLeod, published last year by Donald MacLeod. Next slide, please, Caroline. There we come to a website. Maybe you don't read so many books, but you're on the website, you're on the internet, day after day after day. Here's the Be Thinking website. Can't recommend this highly enough to you. Here, for example, uh, we've focused in on an article by William Lane Craig, a philosopher, Contemporary Scholarship and the Resurrection of Jesus. Here's another one just beside it, Messiah, Jesus, the evidence of history, Paul Barnett. There's so much on even just that one website. Of course, we've got to be discerning. Of course, the amount of information on the, net is, on the web is just… I just can't, can't begin to imagine how much there is. Yes, we've got to be discerning, and I'm thoroughly recommending this one to you. Bethinking.org is the address. Thirdly and finally, another recommendation. Here it comes. It's the Theology Network website, simply theologynetwork.org. Under categories here, we've clicked on the cross, and here most popular in this section, uh, not so much something to read as something to listen to. When you're walking along with your earphones in, do be careful, though, crossing roads. The number of times you see people crossing roads with the earphones in, I, I hate to think it, but there must be people knocked down across the country every day because they haven't heard the car because they're listening to music or something on the headphones. Well, do take care, but here's one for your headphones. Why Trust a Cross by Don Carson. So, there's two websites. 
and one book to strongly recommend to you this evening as we prepare to take part in the Lord's Supper once again, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Nicoletta and the team are going to sing for us. Indeed, we're all going to sing, and I invite those who are helping distribute the bread and the wine this evening to come and sit in the front row down here. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> 